When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Excuse me, Veronica. Yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. And welcome back to the Pants Party. I'm your host, Harrison Starr, HD underscore star on Twitter. Joined, as always, by my friend, Ben Ross, RenBoss23, Harmon Chillabrew himself. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I just muted myself um, because that's the way this works, you know. Going to be one of those other kind of Mondays, I, I guess, but... You know, <laughs> Iowa won. Uh, the Bears lost. Can't ask for much anything better, right? For me. For you, yeah. I mean, I guess if there's a way for both the the Packers and the Bears to come out of mm-hmm. uh, last night's game with an L, that's probably better for you. But uh, wait, Minnesota hasn't played yet. We, they played tonight. We played a Monday night game tonight, and. I already made plans to like go and watch it at a bar with my other friends from Minnesota, and I'm going to see how long they realize that I'm drinking soda water and not vodka soda or gin and soda because I cannot drink tonight. I just can't do it. I I, I have my uh, profile as still recovering, and you asked from what, and I think that that's just that's how we're so different right now, Ben, is because when I stay up till two a.m even though I had maybe two beverages with alcohol in them. I wake up bright and early with my son on Sunday, and it's like, man, this is brutal. Why'd I do it to myself? It's because I didn't want to watch the rest of the game, game, you know, during any time Sunday. So I'm like, okay, I'll just power through this, get the gamer up, and, and make do. But for you... I want to talk about what was your Saturday night like trying to watch this game. Well, let me make it clear. Like, selfishly, had I have volunteered to be on blog duty, I would have been in bed. You know, I would not have stayed up (laughs) to finish the game. And it's funny, I stayed up till 2 a.m. on Saturday, but... That's because I was fueled by alcohol. I I went to an Iowa bar... uh, and all my friends, I went with friends who were married and with kids, and they all they all left after, like, the first delay. And I was like, well, this is sad being here alone. So I went to my favorite cocktail bar is a walking distance from the Iowa bar, and they don't have TVs there. So I just gave up on the game completely and uh, met with some <laughs> night owls who I know at the, uh, who frequent that cocktail bar with me. Had I... Like had I yeah, like I said, had I been on blog duty, I probably would have been more sober, and I 
took myself off blog duty because I shot a 103 earlier that Saturday and just needed to keep that, <laughs> need to stay on that dragon and ride it throughout the night. But I, I can't believe that they finished the game. I can't believe that they didn't call it. I can't believe they tr- couldn't try and convince Nevada to forfeit. I haven't read anything at all about like the behind-the-scenes beer politics or bureaucratic machinations of how this game got finished. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that kind of blew me away was the two different start-stops. Because I just couldn't believe, especially the second one, like, the second one seemed so silly to try and get anything in just as we were watching the weather, and you need, you need not just the 30 minutes between lightning bolts, but the 12 to 15 minutes warm-up. And I can't believe they had that second one where it ended up being two plays. Ken Wilson looked like he was saying, I want to go home. To, to your point, there really hasn't been much about the machinations of this thing, and I think it's probably just... A function of the opponent because I remember when we had our last delay against Iowa State in what year was it 2018 that was 2019 2019 2019 I remember there being like some pretty interesting stories that came out right in terms of oh how's Iowa gonna get these guys food um I think they had to call around. They had to get a police escort to go to some Jimmy John's in Des Moines or something like that. Um, it was really kind of a wild story. And I imagine the fact that, one, it's not a rivalry game. That's one thing that kind of lends itself to less, you know, behind-the-scenes minutia. But also the fact that it's at home. You know, it's it, the logistics are just easier. You, you call up any restaurant in town outside of probably Jonesy's. Yeah, that's a joke. Uh, And they're probably going to, you know, clear their board and and get the Hawkeyes a, uh, you know, uh, some food to tide them over. But for uh, Ames, it's it's a little different. I do wonder what it was like for Nevada. Like, to me, that's, that's probably the more interesting one is what was going on in their locker room. I have to believe, like, because of the nature of the game, it was 17 point game during the the delay I would feel like maybe Iowa ordered sandwiches for them that would be the the gracious host thing to do but I don't know that's what I want to know Hillcrest isn't that far away so I have to assume that (laughs) they rustled something up from there and I remember the Hillcrest is where I that was the dining hall I ate at um the food was always I guess now that I'm saying this out loud I realize the food was never great there but it was always best Saturdays uh, post-game because it was just, like, chicken tenders and french fries and, like, pizza. But now mm. it probably just tasted better because I had some help at tailgate <laughs> taking bringing that, taking that food down. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, so if anyone has information on what Nevada did, reach out to us how, however you want. Uh, because I'm, I'm fascinated to know if there's anything that, that went on because they, they've had a hell of a week. You know, I think the, they didn't quite describe it quite enough during the flow of the game, but they had, you know, worked out in a convention center due to California wildfires that had smoke in the area. They 
had to middle this with a Friday night game that they're still playing on Friday night, as I saw, against Air Force, who had their own Friday night game. Just a brutal, brutal stretch for, for Ken Wilson. They practiced at Mercy, Mount Mercy in Cedar Rapids. I saw that, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is just... This is the difference, I think, between mid-majors and major programs is just the fact that they had to find a practice field on Friday afternoon or morning whenever they practiced. Um, you know, just just weird, especially within the, the context of everything, because most of the times, at least for, for Iowa, right, you're, you're flying in at a normal time after having practiced, but they're probably a little more at the whims of airlines than Iowa is with a chartered flight. I guess, uh, yeah, I, just a weird game. Glad people are safe. You know, funny seeing dogs in the stadium. It's kind of the way I'm glad. Yes. It's just, uh, I'm glad I let you take handle the blog. That's all I'll say, I guess. Or, and I was threatening, oh God, I was looking at her texts. This is maybe too much information. Oh, yeah. On, I don't remember sending all this text to you, but I was I was threatening to call you, and you're like, "Please don't." I have a sleeping child and wife. <laughs> you you should have. I was anticipating a voicemail. Uh, you also threatened a Twitter space on your walk back oh, from the bar. Okay, um, that would have been a mistake. That that was that was another one. I I feel like the last time you were gin fueled uh, post Iowa game led to a raucous twitter feed so uh but that was also after a loss i don't remember so that, that, i actually don't know what you're talking which game you're talking about and when was it last season sometime i i can't remember okay. no this is like three four yeah. maybe five yeah years yeah, ago. yeah yeah like, this is a, a long time ago you, you've grown up since yeah then. i do remember calling jonah uh in 2018 after losing at northwestern but yeah it's different <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ben, we, we should probably get to the game outside of the, the machinations, and I don't think anyone draws up a 27-0 pseudo-blowout like Kirk Ferentz, because Iowa more or less had their way with them. The wide receivers got involved. It was, as I was talking to Thad, I, I have to call it a net enjoyable experience, like seeing Caleb Johnson break away for those two runs absolutely delightful terry roberts getting his pick six taken back also delightful poor terry he's gonna he's gonna get it one of these days um but then this this is like the crux of iowa football is you look at the stat sheet and outside of caleb johnson's line almost literally nothing sticks out that's the thing i had written down here is like not what like big question is what did we learn like I, I want to get back to like the the weird game and everything. Like I feel bad for Nevada and Iowa because I don't think what do, what can coaches learn from this performance? Like I don't want to. I do. I want to say on the whole, I'm still very underwhelmed with Iowa's performance, at least on the offensive side of the ball. And I am sick of giving them the benefit of the doubt with, between you know injuries and everything. And since they had Keegan Johnson and Nico Regani, which we'll talk about later in a moment. But it's like I, I do think the game, the Al- I do think 
Iowa, I want to believe at least Iowa would have been more successful, more impressive on the offensive side of the ball if it weren't for the stoppages. If this was a normal free-flowing game, I want to believe they would have had one, 7 to 14 more points and more impressive stats, and I would have been happier uh, with the final box score. But with the way this ended up, I just don't know how you get into a rhythm. Player, you know, Players talk about how they had stretched three or four different times throughout the night. Um, you know, there are individual superlatives and whatever the opposite of superlative is, um, things to take away, which we'll, uh, which I'll write, I wrote down here, we'll talk about. But overall, I just feel bad for this team kind of playing, let's say, scrimmage going into its first Big Ten game of the year. Luckily, that came against Rutgers. Yeah, I think you, especially the second half, right? Because, like, Iowa in in the second half, their first drive ended in a three and out. And I think that, to me, that's that's all you can take. You can take up to that point as what did we learn. And I think what we learned is, to, to me, the optimism taking from this game is that wide receiver depth facilitates Arlen Bruce to be used like a queen on the on the chessboard. And that is am I trying to speak that into existence or is that actually what we're going to see? Was this an instance where Brian knew, oh, I need to actually do some of this stuff? But both touchdowns came on jet sweep action um with with Bruce. I guess the the first one was like an orbit, but for you know, it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, but that's the type of stuff that Iowa needs to use a lot to be an offense that looks more modern. And then, to, to your point, though, we look back at it, and Iowa barely had 300 yards. Like, that that's, that's the thing that does bug me. It's like, ah, uh, Kirk Ferentz is so willing to play the field position game, trade punts, and get short fields that you're just not going to see Iowa post 450, 500-yard games outside of just wild instances and extreme outliers. But um, to me, that's the one positive takeaway that I'm kind of pinning my hopes to, that maybe this offense can be interesting, maybe not good, Maybe not mediocre, but interesting. That that's the one thing I'm I'm kind of hoping for, for from this game. We talked about using Arlen Bruce as a queen. What has he been the last two weeks? A king? Almost a pawn. Like a, a necessity. Like they've had to use him so much, and so like ununiquely that they've just had to try to get him the ball in the same way multiple times versus how can we use him in unique ways. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, certainly, you know, you're you're lying to yourself if you think no Reganey, no Keegan Johnson, and I guess to some extent no Brody Brecht has, um, hasn't hamstrung this Iowa offense, but... I still didn't really see enough to, to, to I guess, uh, state that the 
offensive worries from the first two weeks were over um, overreactions on the part of fans and the media. I think that's a great point. Like to me, I've I've used this analogy multiple times, but Iowa is. You know they they owe money on their mortgage. They're they're behind months, and I don't. I think like a forty-two to ten type of game probably would have you know paid a month or two down. Like oh okay, this offense can be genuinely explosive. Um, but the fact that it it ends up as kind of the twenty-seven to zero, it's like okay, they they paid a month, but they're still the same. They're still the same amount behind as they were before, and I think. I'm just trying to go through, like, okay, so, like, what's Kirk Ferentz's mindset? And he, ahead of the game, referenced the 2020 season of, oh, Spencer got right after the first two games. And aside from the fact that I don't think you can take much from 2020, the area that he most struggled with most importantly struggled with in the first two games was turnovers and after that 2020 stretch um those first two games he went one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve games with four interceptions and i think that that as much as anything is what kirk was describing in terms of getting petrus right for conference season is can he get back to not turning the ball over? So I guess then I want, I think this is a good segue to like the questions I've asked for you then going in. Sweet. And I guess we'll go back to our buy or sell, I guess. But, you know, buy or sell, the offense is fixed with Johnson times two because we have Caleb Johnson now in the fold showing what he can do. Um, are you scared? Sidebar question are you scared of him getting put in a drawer now because was it LaShawn Williams missed the game due to a death in the family that's right so you're scared of Caleb Johnson getting pushed put in a drawer now moving back to RB3 he still got carries the first two games but that was also because Gavin mm-hmm. Williams was out so you know this three-headed Russian attack there's only one ball what's going to happen with that and then you know by ourselves again Keegan Johnson Nico Regani Brody Brecht they're all back is the offense fixed? And when I say fixed, I mean, is it not 131st in the nation? Yeah, I mean, like, is it back to 2021 levels of what we're accustomed? And I think that it's probably fair to say that that is the ceiling on this That's such a low bar, but yeah, that sucks. It's such a low bar. Yeah, and the fact that they're back, you can see enough of like reason to believe okay if we just get the 2021 offense with a defense that I think is even better and I think maybe we'll get into it then that can win you enough games when we look at the landscape of the west which I think is something else I want to talk about but I don't buy it as like a tangible improvement I was looking at at Spencer Petrus he put up a 126 quarterback rating and it's the old school one not the ESPN one 126. I'm like, okay, where would this rank if he did it over the course of the season? Through three games, through three weeks, that would be 90th 
according to sports reference. And it's just, it's just like the, the bar is so low for this offense that what looks and feels like tangible improvement is still not good in the landscape of college football in 2022. And I'm ready to truther Petrus's performance a little bit. 40, 22% of his yards, 46 yards came on that opening deep bomb to Regani after the second was it the first or the second mm-hmm. break? And that wasn't a good pass. It was, it was Regain even said it went right through the cornerback's hands and into his stomach. Uh, Petrus just flicked it up there. Incredible, like, arm strength out of him, truly. It makes me a little bit sad that, you know, he hasn't been better with the natural talent that he has. But... I mean, he got lucky there, and it, uh, and that and that only led to a field goal on that drive. But at the same time, too, you know, mm-hmm. Caleb John, you know, I think talking about luck is a little stupid too because it happened. Still, you know, you could say Caleb Johnson's run was luck, and that was what another forty-five yarder for a score. That was really impressive. Um, but I'm just not, you know, still really sold. I guess my next question is like, are are you buying or selling? Petrus is still the best chance this team now that. This team has all of its parts back. Is Petra still the best chance for this team to win games? I don't. I mean, it's it's a thing. I don't know. Like I, I don't know. Like is Iowa going to get the as clean of pockets as they they got on on Saturday into Sunday um, with any consistency in. Um, fr- from defenses, like I, I think that. Nevada was very quick to adjust to how Petrus was playing that game and how Brian was calling it in terms of, you know, sending reinforcements to the outside, not crashing the line of scrimmage um, nearly as much, um, accounting for the three wide receiver sets because Iowa was running them a lot more. I think they were quicker to adjust to that than we would see a um a conference opponent. Like I think if you're looking at like a Illinois I think is a great example because Brett Bielema is has that game circled and even Greg Schiano to to some respect in in this week. They're they're going to do everything they can to stop the run game and just live with the results on the outside. Trust that their athletes can match Iowa's wide receivers um, enough to where they're not getting burned in one-on-one situations. And I think that that may be the thing is, like, we didn't see... We saw a couple of deep passes, but we didn't necessarily see, like, Iowa make a ton of those one-on-one type of plays that I think would scare opponents in the future. Um, because even to your point, the, the best one that they had, the Regani one, the defender was in as good a position as, as you would like to see. And maybe some of that is, oh, chemistry, Jack Johnson is running down the middle. As I recall, like that was the first real playing time he had. Um, so maybe that's the type of stuff that gets ironed out as these guys get more run. But I still don't think if you're an Iowa opponent, the performance against Nevada scares you to change how you would defend Iowa as an offense. 
Well, you you mentioned at the top there about like is Iowa going to get the protection they had? My biggest nit to pick from that game is I think the offensive line played really bad. I think, and I don't think Nevada is going to be is a very good front. They were on the first series, first couple series, they were off sides almost every single play. The left tackle is that Dion who was in there. And the, for the first couple of drives, oh yeah, they were. I think it may have been Richard, or yeah. they were false starts. They were, and they got Nick. I think the first play of the game was a false start, wasn't it? But they were false mm-hmm. starting all the time and never got called, and so it took a page out of Wisconsin's book there, which is nice to see. But it just, you know, Caleb Johnson's big run wasn't really sprung by. Good, you know, it was kind of sprung by two Nevada guys running into each other, and then Arlen Bruce's second touchdown, I think, where there were three guys open that I never, I've never seen before uh, on Iowa, all three, any three of them. But that was just like another communication breakdown uh, on Nevada. I, you know, I'm kind of kind of nervous for this offensive line when it does sort of get into Big Ten play. Obviously, of course, they could get better as the season goes on, as, and maybe they're still tinkering with the, with, the, with the units. But Iowa hasn't had a good offensive line, it feels like, since 18, 2017, 2018. It's been a while. I mean, I think the, the best one in recent memory is probably, what would it be? It might be 2019, because I think you still had worse... You had Jackson. You had Linderbaum. Nineteen wasn't that good. I still are... don't forget. I still can't forget. Yeah, uh, Nate Stanley getting beaten the hell up uh, against Michigan in that game, and there was a large Jackson Tristan Worse on that oh, line. Right? Yeah. That was bad. That's a good point, and that's how I would expect teams to play Iowa in the conference slate. Is still overloading the line with five six man rushes, being creative with that. And forcing Petrus and Iowa's receivers to make those tight throws, tight catches. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is, that did not alleviate any of the concerns I have about Iowa's offense now and in the future. And I think that's maybe your point is, like, I, I think I would feel better about it if Iowa was running a ton of, like, mesh plays all all of a sudden and kind of figured out that chemistry of springing Bruce open, getting Keegan Johnson in space, etc. But it looked more just like a better version of the offense that we had seen for the first two weeks. A little more creativity with Bruce. That's the thing I want to see carry forward. But overall, it's like, I don't know if I'm an opponent. I'm more scared about Iowa's offense than I was the week before. And, and ultimately, that's what you're trying to do as an offense if you're not Iowa. Iowa is not necessarily trying to scare opponents. They're trying to manage opponents into good field positions so that they can capitalize on those shorter fields however they may. Feels like they're, I don't know the ter- the term for this in music, but like, an orchestral term where you play a lullaby or a lull or something. I think Mozart was famous for this. And then immediately the next refrain or whatever the music term is, is something very loud to wake up the audience. Uh, when a time where people were easily scared in 1700s, I don't know when the hell orchestra was the main <laughs> mode of music, but it just feels like, yeah, I was trying to lull 
it's still lull defenses to sleep with inside zone and outside zone and putting a tight end at or putting a fullback at tight end and then hit, spring something deep, I, I guess, which doesn't seem sustainable to me. Yeah, there's... Uh, the, the one thing I wanted to check from this game was how different Iowa was running out of shotgun. Um, and I see Bill Connolly has his box scores posted now. Let's see if I can find it quickly. But to me, that's... That's maybe the most important thing about the the run that um, Johnson had that first time was that it was out of shotgun uh, in addition to the Arlen Bruce action. So, like, if Iowa can get to where they are fully committed to running 30 to 40% of the time out of shotgun, that is going to open up the offense a lot more as well. Um, but I don't know that, like... I just don't know if Brian went into this game thinking, oh, I need to show some stuff too, and then I can get back to being what we've been. Um, It's just so weird, man. Like, 27-0 is, if if you told me there's going to be like three hours worth of delays in this game, 27-0 makes sense. But it's just like, okay, we're still the exact same amount of months behind that we were. We're still facing the same um, constraints we're probably going to when we face conference opponents. But but they have a defense that I think is as good as any Iowa defense that I've ever seen. Like, I just can't get over this defense right now. I'm glad you wrap that up because it seems like they also have the numbers to boot. Kirk Ferentz in the post-game presser was keen to highlight how once they put in the defensive subs, they still held them to zero points. He talked about how it's not fair when they put in the defensive subs when <laughs> they're pitching a shutout because usually they let up a point. You let up points. You know what I don't think is fair is not putting Alex Padilla in at quarterback when you're up 27 nothing, and finally letting that guy on the field like what is the echo chamber he lives in where he sees nothing wrong with putting in subs at every position besides quarterback? The, the one thing I'm wondering, because I, I believe there was a change at center, and this is, like, so weird. Like, it's, it's galaxy-brained, but I think Kirk is like, okay... Let's make sure that our number one quarterback is taking as many snaps as possible as someone who may take over for, for Logan Jones. Um, who is the backup center? That Malinsky, Ellsbury. No, Ellsbury. I believe it was, and that would be the only thing that makes sense. The other one is just like, well, what? What's the point of putting him in if he's just going to hand off? Like, but. This this is straight out of 2012. The Iowa punt return. They threw it. With, um, they threw it on know. third down, on third and three, I think, when they were up 24 in the fourth quarter. Oh, you're right. They did yeah, that. Yeah. So they did. Do that. Yeah. I I don't know. It's just straight out of 2012. Like, with with the exception being that Alex Padilla 
has started and been the quarterback for games in which Iowa has won, and neither Jake Rudock or C.J. Beathard could say that in 2012. It's just... Structurally, here's where I think Kirk Ferentz thinks of the quarterback in terms of, like, 100% self-preservation. You look at every other hot seat from a coaching perspective, it all centers around, or much of it centers around the quarterback position. And is this guy better? Is that guy better? Actually trying both guys, picking, picking wrong. Kirk just establishes a starting quarterback, never moves away from it because he can never be challenged on on it. And it it's a self-preservation tactic as much as anything. But... What is most frustrating and where Iowa is so behind the times is that no offense, no offense in the year of our Lord, 2022, (laughs) should require 12 to 18 months for a quarterback to get under his feet. We're seeing quarterbacks go all over the place, learning new offenses, and playing well. Bo Nix just beat one of the best defenses in the country. Bo effing Knicks. Bo Nix? Michael Penix? Michael Penix, you're right. Like I Michael mean, he, Penix, I'm maybe truthering Michigan State a little tore bit. Tore Michigan yeah. State up. And it's just like, there, there's no there's no excuse to have the offense Iowa has other than the fact that you want to create entrenchment at quarterback and use that as self-preservation. Because to me, Iowa Iowa can still be who the best version of Iowa's offense has been by modernizing. And you don't really have to look much further than Iowa State or Minnesota, where both of those teams are still balanced offenses, but they're running a ton of shotgun. They're having their coordinators call in audibles and progressions. They're folding in RPOs. They're running pistol formations. Like, Iowa can still be Iowa and take away all of the bureaucracy that exists with the quarterback position. But then when you do that, it, it redirects the focus off of the quarterback onto which quarterback's better. And it also redirects towards, like, play calling um, and, and things like that. Like, it... There's so much that goes into quarterback at Iowa that does not exist anywhere else that it makes it almost unimpeachable. Even though I do think Iowa's media had done a very good job up until throughout this season of calling for change. And and I don't know that Peaches had a good game, but it was his best game since the, the Penn State game, and it's not like it was anything to write home about other than the fact that Iowa scored three offensive touchdowns. Yeah, I don't think there's any we can really take any more blood from the stone until the season gets older. Yeah. But I am not feeling really I wish I was, but I, and I think, you know, weather plays a really big part of this, but I'm not feeling any better about Iowa after another game of the year. Seasons 
25% over. Yeah. 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 That's scary. 0% over confidence-wise. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, it's like... Do we want to talk about the defense, Ben? Because, like, to me, I think that what we saw on the defense is just, like, they, they're they just so good. Like, I mean, is there a way to describe them other than just... There's dudes everywhere. Excellence at Yeah, every looking position. at the box score, another 10 tackles for Jack Campbell, two pa- Cooper DeGene is as impressive as Dane Belton and Amani Hooker, I think you said in Slack. Is he better, maybe? I don't... It's too early, but I... You think it's too early? Okay. But I... When I watch Iowa take, take, take the field... I only watch Cooper DeGene, and I don't... Last time I did that, I think, was probably with Desmond King. When I just only mm. watch him, don't pay attention. Usually, I just watch the defensive line. I do, did it with, I guess, um, Josie Jewell a little bit. But Cooper, my, I always, whenever I was on defense, I looked to see where Cooper DeGene is lined up, lined up and watch him. Terry Roberts is sick. Like, hell, he might be better than Riley Moss, right? Like... There's guys everywhere. I think Deontay Vines got uh, got his first sack of the year, and he's another backup defensive lineman. Like, there's talent. Oh, Aaron Graves. Aaron Graves, I meant. Yeah, excuse me. Uh, no, Deontay oh. Craig. Oh yeah, 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 Deontay yeah, yeah, Craig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then I mean, honestly, like weak point is Justin Jacobs isn't back, right? So Seth Benson is kind of losing his job, right, to Logan Klemp. Um. I saw Jay Higgins in there a lot. I um, meant Jay Higgins. Instead of I, I, I meant Higgins. Clemp has been uh, backing up Jacobs, yeah. But I, I wonder if Benson is like 80%, 80-90%, at least in terms of like the, the football health, right? Like, to me, no one's going to be healthy at any point in a football season. But I thought he didn't play very well um, against Iowa State, missing a couple tackles. So we saw a little more rotation with him and Higgins. And ultimately, like, I'm just... Like you said, there's... There is so much right about this defense. And they put in their freshman line. Jeremiah Pittman's in the backfield. Aaron Graves is getting his sacks. Um, just all sorts of things. And... Then the defensive backfield's incredible <laughs> with Sebastian Castro making a couple tackles right at the line of scrimmage, Wonkpa and Reggie Bracey getting in. That's also something I think was kind of surprising was um, it could have gotten really weird that game if that, that kick had gotten returned, but Reggie Bracey was there to, to save the day. Um, and really... That's how I almost view Iowa's defense now is like you're going to have to be really really good on offense to get to 17 points. Reggie Bracy, former four-star recruit. When's the last time and he's a junior, right? Like when's the last time it feels like Alabama, it's obviously nothing like Alabama, but having a four-star as a backup, that just doesn't happen at Iowa. Yeah, between him, Wonkpa got in. Um, it's just it, the cup runneth over on defense. It's it, I, I've said that before. I'm going to say it again, and it I I just don't know that there's a weak point on this defense, and that is genuinely incredible. Because even even if it is Seth Benson, you rotate Higgins in, 
and if Jacobs is 100%, you you have oh a lineback a pair of linebackers in Jack Campbell and Justin Jacobs. Have fun trying to attack them. Cooper DeGene's just everywhere to mop mop everything up if he's not there first. So, yeah, good luck is right. I was surprised he didn't get a pick six. Mm-hmm. Like he's gonna he's gonna get something yeah. like that. Um, this season. Can you imagine? Maybe, maybe as early as this week. I think I've said this before, but being an opposing quarterback and seeing two white guys at corner yeah. opposite you. <laughs> just so funny. There was a backup who got in on the outside. I'm trying to remember what name he was. I think he was 16. Um, I have no idea. And it's just like, it's it is. It's funny. Like I mean, they're, but like Riley Moss is gonna post. I think a record-breaking combine number because mm. he's just that good. <laughs> and he'll and he'll um, be moved to safety. <laughs> yep, yep. Jamison Hines is the guy I was thinking I of who, who got is. in uh, some run. Yeah, a walk-on from Humboldt. Cool. By yep, Humboldt, Iowa. So. Iowa, an offense that manages, but like that, that's it. Like they manage, they're not going to even do what Wisconsin did and just bludgeon an opponent anymore. Like, unless they're asking for it. Like to me, as I said some time ago, that Maryland 51 is going to look like that's an even bigger outlier than the Ohio state 55. To, to me, like the, there's just no question yep. that that is that is one of the weirdest games Iowa has ever played in terms of getting 51 points with the offense as basically currently constructed. Yeah, I'm with you. So Ben, um, the Big Ten West <laughs> is very weird. It sucks. Uh, <laughs> it stinks. And the team I thought was going to maybe not run away with it, but establish themselves early was Purdue. The team that has done that, but now has an injury, is Minnesota. And I just I just don't know about this, this division. Like, Kirk had... Because if I look at it from Kirk Ferentz's lens... The positions, I was in the position they exactly want to be in. Which is, oh, we're going to be in nine conference games. Can we come out on top of six of them? To me, that is, that that might be what it takes to win the Big Ten West. And that is just so sad. So I am, you know, I hate Minnesota. My home state. Yes. Hate them, hate their team. I'm ready to declare it, ready to declare it, their division to lose. However, three of their, two of their three wins are against teams that are in the bottom five of all of FBS. New Mexico State and Colorado are fighting UConn and Hawaii to be the absolute worst team in all of college football division one, football bowl subdivision. That's not a great place to be, you know? Losing Chris Ottman Bell, their number one wide receiver, is bad. Not as bad as potentially losing Mohamed Ibrahim again, who I still maintain is being overworked. He's getting over 20 carries 
over 20 carries in all these games when he should be getting, I think, none because you and I could run behind this Minnesota offensive line and get 60 yards, which is all you need to all you need to beat Colorado is that. Uh, they are playing football Iowa used to play, which is dominating offensive line, an yeah. incredible running back, a quarterback who manages the game, and a great wide receiver. And now that the great wide receiver is gone, I don't know enough about their roster. To, I, I assume somebody's going to step up because people don't realize, like, P.J. Fleck's best at best coaching skill is wide receiver coach, you know. He coached Antonio Brown. He coached uh, Rashad Bateman, who had four catches for 101 yards and a touchdown for the Ravens uh, yesterday. So I assume he's got somebody back there. And Tanner Morgan is just managing the game. I think, you know, I was going to the season not believing Tanner Morgan was still going to be the quarterback for his sixth season, I believe. But I think it's their division to lose. Wisconsin could turn things around, you know. I've got – I do think that the – People are just as overreact- are overreacting to Paul Christ to even a greater degree than maybe I actually I don't know, but they are overreacting the same manner to Paul Christ as Iowa fans are reacting, let's say, to Kirk and Brian Ferentz. Uh, Purdue, they stink. It's bad. That's very. I am ready. I had thought Brian Brom was going to, or Jeff Brom, excuse me, was going to uh, acquit himself as one of the best coaches in the conference this season, he has pissed away two games uh, with not being able to bleed out the clock against Penn State in the opener and gifting Syracuse a win with an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in, the fi- in what, the last 50 seconds of the game on Saturday? Unbelievable. I had wanted, sneaky, I had wanted the Braun brothers to come to Iowa City and make that the new family business, but... Now, if they can't even get that shit right, it is crazy. I, I've gone back and forth with our friends, uh, our our friends, do my ass on uh, on Purdue, and um, the way he framed it was they did not they they got the absolute least out of these three games as they possibly could have, and that is. It was jarring to see. Now I don't. I. I. I don't know if that means that's what we're going to see the rest of the season, or are we going to see them flip to what they can be? I will say this much: like the discussions we always have, kind of with Jonah uh, about um, Brom, at least in terms of like, well, Kirk doesn't lose a game like the Penn State game. He doesn't necessarily lose a game like the Syracuse game once they've got the lead. But also, is he putting his... Would Kirk have put Iowa in a position to that Brom was in both of those games? I don't know. Because that that Purdue game was absolutely wild in terms of that. One of the dumbest plays I had seen in quite a while with the pick six with a guy draped over you don't even get it to the line of scrimmage. A defensive lineman takes it to the house. Just un- unacceptable. But then they go back and they score you know, two straight times, make it look easy, take the lead. And then the wheels come off. Like, it, t- 
to to use, use Kirk Ferentz's term, it felt like an intentional der- derailment. How do you have one of your best players, uh, the the tight end um, name escapes me, with a dumb unsportsmanlike conduct penalty after an extra point, Brom compounds it. So now you've got Syracuse only has to go 40, 50 40 yards. penalty yards in, and, in one play. Yeah. And and then, on top of that, the defense is actually doing stuff, but then they get called on penalties, and Syracuse gets two first downs on penalties, and it's just like, oh my god. This is just a team that, through three weeks, has snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, and... Man, like, it makes me think that, like, Brahm is feeling some type of pressure, whether it's, like, that internal pressure of um, knowing he's got as good a roster as he's had at Purdue, the best quarterback he's had at Purdue, wanting to elevate the program. But, man, it, it's... They, they have time to turn around, obviously, they play Minnesota in two weeks, which I think is maybe the most important game for big the direction of the Big Ten West that we'll see before November. Um, it's it's interesting because I, there's time for them to turn it around, and if this is the worst they've of them that we've seen, and they'll regress back to you know what they are. They might be fine, but, like, if it's, you know, I, I don't know quite how you would want to frame it, but if you're intentionally derailing your team, you know, every other week, you're in trouble. I mean, yeah, say whatever you want about Kurt Ferentz, but he doesn't lose games the way that we've seen Brom lose a game. P.J. Fleck cost his team the game, I think, in 2012. 21 yeah. or no not not 21 20 or 19 i don't know i think it was 19. i think it was 19 yeah um i'm sure there's been other cases off the top of my head of guy of coaches just blowing the game for their team um and you know to kirk's credit he lets his quarterback do that for him or his son rather <laughs> that is so funny yeah because um, yeah, that's that's where that goes. So I I think do, do, I'm excited. Your your power rankings are just making <laughs> waves on Friday. Um, it's a good spot for them. I have to think that uh, is Purdue still the, the? Is it Minnesota or is it? It Purdue has to be Minnesota. Or is it default Wisconsin? It has to be Minnesota. It it, it is still Minnesota. Yeah. Wisconsin. I mean. They lost at home to Washington State, who... What, did Washington State even win this week? I think they lost. Uh, that's a good question. Let's take a look. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just tired. I have to take Minnesota by virtue of Mohamed Ibrahim and Washington State kill yeah. Colorado State, who's another really, really bad team. Um, yeah. But Big Ten, Big Ten West stinks. It's a race to the bottom. Between Northwestern and Nebraska, I guess, and they already that game was already played, so <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, we already know who won that mm-hmm. one. I mean, that, that's where I just come down to is like in past seasons, this has been where 
Pat Fitzgerald has like navigated the waters to get his team into the conference championship. Could Brett Bielema be that guy? And I, I'm answering my question no, because they already lost to Indiana. That's an inexcusable loss that they had, but but my point being, like, something absolutely weird is going to happen in the West, and maybe it's like last year where, you know, someone sets a mark and, you know, everyone else crumbles around them. That, it kind of has that feeling where someone is going to have a win-in-your-in situation on Saturday, lose, and we'll see some other team in, in ahead of them, whether it's the, the loser of Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Purdue goes through. Um, maybe Iowa somehow has a 6-3, and three, loses the right three games, and yeah. they're in. Because um, that's still on the table. Like, I mean, I think that that, we, we referenced uh, Julian Vandervelde multiple times. That's what he said. It's still on the table. Everything's in front of Iowa that they want, and I can see Iowa getting to six and three, and you know, not being the cream that rises to the top, but not being the anchor that sinks to the bottom. I just don't, by virtue of Mohamed Ibrahim's abilities. Yeah, I, I don't see Minnesota. I see this being Minnesota's division to lose this year. Um, they, I was just looking at the schedule. They, other than Wisconsin, I think they get all of their important games at home. I think. Yeah, they get Iowa. They get oh, yeah. Iowa at home. They're at. They get. I mean, Purdue at home. They get. They're at Nebraska. Who cares? Um, at Illinois again. You know who cares? At Penn State, but they could lose that game. Uh, but PJ Fleck has good. He has a good track record. Track record against James Franklin too. So, I just kind of feel like things are. You know, they miss Ohio State and Michigan this year. Uh, I'm feeling good about the Gophers. Ah. Put that on your tombstone, Ben. please don't. (laughs) (laughs) So, reverse jinx. We've officially begun the reverse jinx for Minnesota football, who plays Michigan at Michigan State. Like, I do think you're right, though. They, with the important games at home... Seven and two probably wins this division, so that they they can, if they come out of this week or the next two weeks at Michigan State and Purdue, if they're two and zero, oh, it's one hundred. Print the shirts mm-hmm. to borrow a phrase. Mm-hmm. Print them. Alrighty. Well, Ben, any any final thoughts as we uh, close out our uh, talking Hawks? On the company clock slash uh, lunch break edition. Mm-mm. No, feels good. I had some tea with lemon and honey for lunch. Throat could use it. Um, <clears throat> that's about it. That 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 definitely is the shape you're in after that your Saturday, mm-hmm. Ben. The the tea, the soda later tonight. I feel like you're going to be in in good yeah. shape for uh, the rest of the Hope week. Hope so. So, hopefully, I get enough caffeine in me uh, the rest of today that you know I make it through, make it through. But got a beach vacation coming up at the end of the week, and could not be happier. So yeah, we're both gonna be in Florida we'll, this weekend. 
I know. A whole hour away. Right. Which is going to be like, but I'm sure the hour is longer in Florida. They're an island time. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, for Ben Ross, RenBoss23 on the Bird app, uh, HD underscore star uh, on Twitter. Give us a follow if you want. Tell us why we're idiots. Mm -hmm. Let us know. Well, don't tell us why we're idiots. We already know. We have, uh, you know, we're we're millennials. Um, We're soft. Um, but tell if you have any information on the Nevada stuff that I'm I'm really interested to hear hear about that. But uh, other than that, go Hawks! You know, beat New Jersey, I guess. Love Piscato. I don't know. Fuck State. <laughs>